The scripture lesson today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for healing of all nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us be in the spirit of prayer for a moment. Gracious and holy and loving God, we inch forward this morning to hear you whisper a word of hope for our lives. Be in the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts that those present here may be touched with your undying love. Amen. So it was the weekend of America's largest anti-abortion protest in Washington, D.C. last January when I noticed uh, that a Facebook friend of mine was posting a lot of pro-life musings. Now, I knew that Dave was an evangelical, but we see eye to eye on lots of other complex issues. Dave believes in science. Dave knows a lot about politics. And Dave has a heart for justice, especially justice for undocumented immigrants. But on this one issue, it was clear that we were on opposite sides of the spectrum. And so I messaged him and asked for a face-to-face -face conversation. Dave accepted the offer. And over a cup of coffee, he dug right in. How can liberals justify that abortion is not killing a life? I told him that it was way more complicated of an issue for me. I told him that it is no surprise to me that on the heels of the Me Too movement, when women are finally saying that men cannot violate our bodies, that some of the most draconian laws about women's bodies are being passed. Women are finally finding our voices, and the systems of oppression are pushing back. I asked if he knew the history before Roe v. Wade, you know, Southern Baptists and other conservative Protestants were actually in favor of abortion in the 1950s. But after Lyndon B. Johnson's landslide win in 1964, political operatives crafted a morally compelling issue in order to unify and save the Republican Party from extinction. 
I pointed out that historically, progressive social policies that make health care more affordable, that make contraception and comprehensive sex education more accessible, that support a living wage, actually reduce the rate of abortion. Dave agreed. He pointed out that there was some hypocrisy of the conservatives who were opposed to such policies. Then we discussed how the Bible informs our Christian values. The Bible says nothing about abortion and many things about life. Most pro-life Christians quote Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. But of course, we'd be in trouble if the Psalms were literal instructions for life since Psalm 137 talks about being blessed to smash infants' heads against rocks. But if I were a biblical literalist, the closest thing that I can find of when life begins is found in Genesis 2, where God breathed into the first human, at which, at which point he became a living being. In many places throughout the Bible, breath, or ruach in Hebrew, or pneuma in Greek, is what makes for life. Dave's main point, of course, was about life. He argued that a zygote is a human organism with a complex structure of interdependent elements. And I agreed that the life argument is probably the weakest for progressives because I'm not sure what kind of life we're actually talking about. Plants and trees have life. Bacteria is life. Your burger was life. And zygotes are also life. I told him that I'm not opposed to discussing a fetus being alive. As a woman that has been pregnant herself, I've felt the life growing within me. And just as every pregnancy is different, every abortion is different too. Some women are relieved, while others mourn it as a death, and still others feel both things at the same time. And all of these feelings are completely normal. Dave pointed out that the ruling of Roe v. Wade created a moral problem for him where any abortion can be justified. This was concerning to Dave as he knew women who had multiple abortions that are what he considered elective, purely elective is what he said. But I argued that no one should be required by the law to give our body to another human being, not even a fetus. Humans are required by law to donate our organs at the time of death, even if they would save lives. Women have a right to bodily autonomy. And when the government makes abortion illegal, the government is taking legal ownership over pregnant women's bodies and denying them the right to make decisions that are best for them and their unborn child. Dave had a concern that abortion is a sign that we aren't actually taking care of vulnerable women before an unintended pregnancy. I agreed with him on that. And I also pointed out that morality goes out the window when we are not taking into consideration women who have been raped or where there is a risk either to the health of the mother or to the viability of the child. And we both agreed that both Republicans and Democrats turn a deaf ear to the cries of the already living children, the marginalized and socially disadvantaged of which the Bible speaks about in volumes. Dave and I argued our points. 
finding common ground every once in a while, and neither of us changed our minds through facts, law, science, or the Bible. After about 30 minutes of this, I remembered how Jesus responded to those who challenged him with opposition. Most often, Jesus responded to his adversaries with an open, curious heart and a story. And so I asked this man if he had a personal story regarding abortion. Sure enough, he did. There was a sadness in Dave's eyes as he told his own story to me. And it was then when my heart opened and I had compassion for why this man was so pro-life. I shared my stories too. I shared stories of not being called on in class when I was a young girl, of being told by a teacher, it's okay, girls aren't good at science anyway, and how difficult it was to feel encouraged and supported in my leadership by both men and women. Even in 2019, the authority and intellect of women to make decisions that their male colleagues make carry more suspicion. I told stories of being ogled in the grocery store when I was 10, of having my body violated in the halls of my high school and in private by men who were my boyfriends or my platonic friends. And I confessed how ambivalent I was about having children myself and how ashamed I felt about that. And when I did finally have my babies, it was my choice. While Dave and my experiences were vastly different, we drew ourselves to the middle of seeing one another as we were, vulnerable children of God, yearning for healing and abundant life. In the book of Revelation, there is a river that splits the city in half. Unlike other places in scripture, water is not considered a barrier to be crossed. The crystal clear river flows from God and out into the world. And wherever there is water, there is life. And on either side of the river, it looks like there are two separate trees, but the roots are connected under the water, making the two trees one tree of life. And both sides are bearing fruit. Now, when you think about this too hard, this is pretty bad news for us. We want to believe that where we stand on our side of the river is where the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are cultivated. We, not them, have the corner market on healing. And what if we are wrong? What if there is more to the story? What if there is healing and fruit and life over there, too? So often, questioning my own thinking help, it helps loosen my zeal to be right. I have to draw from the middle to move forward with compassion. Now, the middle is sometimes considered by progressives to be a place of complicity, fear, and submission. I used to believe that, too. But in our cult current cultural mess and climate, we have all of these entrenched ideologies. And I am discovering that drawing from the middle actually takes more courage, compassion, and curiosity than I ever have when I dig further and further into my side. Truth is, both sides of the abortion debate have inconsistent ethics of life. 
Christian activist and author Shane Claiborne is called for, calling for a reimagined pro-life movement that stands consistently for life from the womb to the tomb. He points out that many Republicans are against abortion, but pro-death penalty. And many Democrats are for gun reform, but pro-choice. And both sides are guilty of increasing military spending. Claiborne writes, quote, all of us who seek to be pro-life should continue to care about abortion, but we should just as passionately care about the death penalty, gun violence, the movement for black lives, the crisis of refugees and immigrants, the environment, healthcare, mass incarceration, and all the other issues that are destroying the lives and squashing the dignity of children whom God created and loves so deeply, unquote. I would specifically like to add to Shane's list gender equity. He missed that one. And while I believe that all of those things that he listed can create a consistent ethic of life, until there is gender equity, I will and am, I will be pro-choice. You see, finding peace and healing through the middle doesn't mean that we stop doing the justice work on our side of the river. It does not mean that we abandon our personal boundaries and our heartfelt values. Our life-giving work, not our hurt feelings and opinions, will be what produces fruit. Everyone is allowed to their own feelings. But we are not allowed to limit growth in life because of our feelings. Jim Wallace wrote in a Sojourner's article, we have to move beyond judgment and recrimination. Rather, we need a time of dialogue and understanding for reconsideration of what it means to be deeply committed to abundant life. In seeking after that truth and striving for consistency in this issue, we will come face to face with the need for reconciliation between battling ideological forces. Whenever I find myself trying to connect the dots on my own, making up narratives about people or events, when I begin to gather evidence to build my case, I know that I am in spiritual danger. The middle is hard on the ego. But we cannot possibly know the full picture of another person's reality. I can be 100% right in my argument, but what does that matter if my argument causes more pain? It's not easy to let go and draw from the rib river in the middle. But it does offer clarity, abundance, healing, and forgiveness. It is only through the middle where us versus them can be reconciled. Through the middle, there is no Egypt versus Israel, no wilderness versus promised land, no Jew versus Gentile, no baptized versus not baptized. Political, social, economic, and personal divisions are washed away in the healing and clarifying waters of life with God. And so I ask, how could drawing from the middle give you clarity today? May we draw from the life-giving waters that flow from God, and may the leaves of the trees be for the healing of the nations. Amen.